0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 191 of the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed our final taste of NFL action for six months, you know, seven if we're counting all the way to the regular season. We're going to recap the Super Bowl. We're going to talk a little bit of offseason shenanigans, and most importantly, moving forward, we're going to talk the schedule, uh, not going to be weekly in the offseason, as is tradition with the program. If this is your first episode tuning in, welcome. You've picked quite the time, because this is the final episode of what I believe is Season 7 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, the end of the 23-24 NFL season. And we're going to be starting with our next episode in the month of March 2024-2025 hype. But real quick, before we get into breaking down the game and having fun like we usually do, uh, just thought it was important after what occurred at the Kansas City Super Bowl parade, the tragic shooting uh, with many injured, and I believe as of recording this, at least one dead. uh, Just wanted to send our thoughts and prayers from everyone here to the families involved and everyone in the Kansas City er uh, area It was supposed to be a celebratory day, a nice day, right? Building a dynasty and repeat champions for the first time in oh so long. And uh, unfortunately, there's no other word other than tragedy struck. And uh, it's just horrible. Horrible the things that have come out, whether it be from the the videos and the things like that. And obviously the loss of life in such a, a celebratory time for the city. Is unfortunate. So, again, we wanted to send our thoughts and prayers and condolences, unfortunately, to those who were uh, involved in all that. Now, I understand it's never easy to transition out of something like that, but it's important to make note of it. Um, Nevertheless, as is tradition, we're going to start this episode with my standout seven. And considering there's no pick 'em portion, really. Because we are, well, I mean, there's no baseball playoffs and basketball is on All-Star Weekend. What is there to pick? I mean, I'm going to pick some hockey games or something. But, uh, no, yeah, in all seriousness, that's pretty much the show. So, we're going to jump right in. Number one, let's talk about Super Bowl 58, live from Las Vegas, up until the overtime period. Now, to remind you. Not that you need reminding, because I assume you were here last weekend. And If you were, thanks for tuning in. If not, you know what, I'll clue you in. I went through our entire picks segment discussing how, you know, sometimes when you're having a Super Bowl run or a championship run, because it extends to other sports, you have a play like the Vilder missed interception against the Lions. And... That play is your helmet catch, or it is your, the ball bouncing your way in a big moment. But, I also added that somehow it didn't feel that way. It felt like, you know, Detroit kind of imploded, and that's why they wouldn't be playing in Las Vegas against the Kansas City Chiefs. That would have been the matchup that started the season and the matchup that closed the season. I'm going to pull this stat out of nowhere. I'm not sure if it's definitive or not. I tend to think that would have been the first time ever, or at least in modern history, that the Super Bowl matchup wound up being the opening weekend matchup. It just doesn't happen. It's too perfect. And if I'm wrong, comment section, if where you're listening has a comment section, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donotic, please, by all means, tell me I'm wrong, I don't mind. It's okay. Um, but that's not what happened. And I went through and I talked about how, well, Patrick Mahomes is the obvious advantage at quarterback, but well, a running back, it's hard to say that it wouldn't go to San Francisco and a wide receiver. I've been telling you all year how not so good Kansas city's receiving core is. It would be weird for me to tell you all of a sudden that they're good. then we talked about the defense and Bosa and maybe some spark plays with the athleticism as a pass rusher that chase young brings and the linebacking core with Fred Warner Werner, excuse me. And then I ended it all by saying, but sometimes you have to pick between what you think could happen and what you already know has happened. And what had happened coming into the Super Bowl is I had watched Patrick Mahomes be trailing in the biggest games of his life, not even necessarily playing tremendous in the Super Bowls he'd been in. But at the end of the day, he was holding the Lombardi Trophy last year he was holding the Lombardi trophy against San Francisco previously and Tom Brady was not coming through that door nor was the Tampa Bay defense so oh and additionally I watched a Kyle Shanahan offense take a huge lead in the Super Bowl and then crumble and then I watched a Kyle Shanahan team take a 10-point lead in the Super Bowl and then crumble and what happened Ladies and gentlemen, what happened in the Super Bowl? Now, usually I am one to pat myself on the back with the Nostradonotic shenanigans and the moniker, but when you're picking the Super Bowl, it's it's almost a true 50-50, and I don't think I said anything that was so bizarre that I necessarily deserve to pat myself on the back so hard. So what I'll do instead is we'll run through, as I said, number one in the standout seven. Let's talk regulation of the biggest game of the year. And... Not only did we have near blanks in the first half, I believe maybe a blank in the first half from Kittle, but near blank in the first half, negative yards, I believe, for Travis Kelsey when he wasn't shoving his head coach for some reason, which was bizarre. Uh, We had Christian McCaffrey put the ball on the turf. And I remember watching early on and I said, wow, they're really attacking the ball, but McCaffrey never fumbles. Well, he fumbled on what, the the second play of the game? Okay, sure. 10-3 at halftime. San Francisco with the lead after a trick play with Jawan Jennings. Tremendous, right? I was saying Kansas City always has their trick plays. We saw last year in the Super Bowl, they busted them out at just the right time. Well, Shanahan's got some trick plays of his own. Jawan Jennings throws an absolute sky ball to the other side of the field on a fake little reverse wide receiver pass shenanigans. Great play design. Got the job done. Um, none of the Chiefs defenders got there in time. Additionally, it's 10-3 at halftime, but it's worth noting. After a long bomb to Hardman, Pacheco put the ball on the turf. Something that I don't believe he had really done very frequently either. Two fumbles in the first half. Very impactful. This was 10-0 with four minutes to go, by the way. 10-0 with four minutes to go. In the two-minute drill. Kansas City with the ball. They wind up calling a timeout with, I believe it was a minute five left, pushing into the red zone. And I'm thinking, all right, well, you can let the time run here. This is the Super Bowl. You want the last possession. You don't want to give them any chance. Okay, whatever. Andy Reid, Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Fame coach, I will defer to you, obviously. Then they go screen into a handoff into another timeout. What was the point of calling the first time out then? What, what, okay, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't matter. He win the Super Bowl at the end of the day, who cares? But uh, very weird. I also thought Patrick Mahomes in the first half was very, very tentative. I'm not sure. Uh, the broadcast alluded to the fact that maybe they were giving him some looks that looked like they were man, and then they would quickly swap to zone, you know, just kind of bluffing their way in. Maybe it was working. Or vice versa look like zone and wind up being man. I'd say this. It's one of the more tentative halves I've ever seen Patrick Mahomes have. We saw a lot of pump faking, a lot of double clutching, and it's not a Big Ben double clutch where he winds up taking a shot. It is a clutch, a clutch, and then, oh, let me try and scramble, but the San Francisco front seven is pretty darn athletic. So they were nipping at his heels early in the game. Now, obviously, later in the game, he winds up rushing for 66 yards. Evidently, he had the athleticism when it mattered, but early in the game, wasn't getting him anywhere on the ground. Intriguing. 10-3 at halftime. Second half, we see Pat come out and look more aggressive, and he overshoots a wide-open Travis Kelsey into an interception. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I guess this is where San Francisco maybe starts to pull away. Maybe this is where San Francisco, you know, they build their lead. You can't blow a lead if you don't build it. So let's see if they can pull away. Well, they don't get any points out of that. Then we have the, We also in this game, we had two Super Bowl record long field goals. The record was set by Jake Moody and then promptly reset by Harrison Butker. 55 and 57 respectively. Kudos to the kickers. Uh, Not so much to Jake Moody when we talk about the extra point later, but we'll get there. Uh, 10-6, late third quarter, and San Francisco, now, you won't remember this game. You, unless, you know, I don't know who you're a fan of, but unless you're a fan of the New York Football Giants or you're a San Francisco fan, you're not going to remember the shenanigans that ensued in the 2011 NFC Championship game, where San Francisco botched, I believe, two punts in that game. One hit off a foot and one was a straight-up muff. This was off a foot, and it was giving me flashbacks. And when that happens, it's like, okay, well, last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, you had the play go your way. You had the Kindle Wilder, should have been an interception, should have been free money. Oh, didn't go your way, right? Oh, Josh Reynolds, and it hits him in the breadbasket, or it hits him in the hands, rather. Not a perfect throw. Oh, didn't go your way there. Or it did, rather. This one, you see a San Francisco special teamer. They always say, what is it? You got to yell poison or whatever, blah, 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 to get out of the way. Evidently, too loud in the Super Bowl. It kicks off of somebody's foot, and the Chiefs have the ball. What happens then? The Chiefs very promptly have the lead. Patty leading a Super Bowl, Patty Mahomes, that is. First time leading in the Super Bowl, entering the fourth quarter. He's one two was never leading, and obviously the third one they lost, they weren't leading maybe at all the entire game, maybe early in the first half, but they kind of got ran through in that game. We have Brock Purdy missing Debo for a touchdown on a, on one of their early fourth-quarter drives, but they convert on a fourth down. You know what? They wind up with a touchdown anyway, and then the block heard round the world. Jake Moody kicking it a little low, and the PAT is blocked. Anytime there's a missed extra point, every NFL fan goes, oh, that's going to be important. Well, in the Super Bowl, it did loom large, evidently. As we wind up going at OT at 22-22, mind you, San Francisco would have had 23 points if the extra point was not blocked. Wow, wow, wow. So... Some takeaways from regulation before we get to overtime. Travis Kelsey in the first half was a non-factor, and this is a theory I have not seen anyone float because it's probably almost certainly wrong, but I'm going to tell you my theory anyway. I don't think Travis Kelsey was necessarily the focal point of the offense before he was having his little weird interaction with Andy Reid on the sideline. In fact, I can tell you he wasn't. However, I've watched enough Chief games to know that eventually he does become the guy, right? He is their best receiving threat. That's not breaking news. However, Andy Reid being Andy Reid, I think for the remainder of the first half, it was not unintentional that Travis Kelsey was kind of frozen out of the offense. Now, this is the biggest game of the year. This is a dynasty-defining game. You win three Super Bowls. It's a dynasty, right? three-and-a-five-year period, am I suggesting to you that Andy Reid straight-up froze out Travis Kelsey because he was kind of losing it on the sideline? Um, maybe. I'm just saying I haven't heard anyone say it. You've seen guys throw tantrums on the sideline, and there's a couple of ways to handle it. Obviously, you're not going to bench him. He's your best offensive threat. It's the Super Bowl. You need him on the field, at least as a decoy. So... Either you get him the ball immediately and try and calm him down, or you just throw the ball to everyone else. Or you run the ball, or you do this, that, and the third, and he winds up with, I believe, one touch in the entire first half. Now, the next three quarters, and yes, I said three, he would wind up totaling his nine catches for 93 yards. I'm just saying, if he did do it, I respect it. It's your team. You're the coach. This is your franchise. You have built this. The Chiefs were not an impending dynasty when Andy Reid took over. I know it feels like forever ago at this point, but when Andy Reid moved over to coach this team, the previous year, they were 2-14. and 2-14. and 14, With Matt Castle at quarterback. They promptly added Alex Smith, and went 11 and 5, and lost in the wild card round. I mean, this was a slow burn. The next year, 9 and 7, they missed the playoffs. Then 11 and 5, they lose in the divisional round. Okay. Interesting. 12 and 4, losing the divisional round. 10 and 6, lost in the wild card round. And you're thinking, all right, well, this team seems pretty good. They've added this uh, this Tyree Kill guy. He's pretty good. Travis Kelsey seems to be a decent piece. You know, aging Jeremy Macklin, who he brought in from Philly. You look at a guy like Kareem Hunt. Okay, well, oh, they're drafting a quarterback in the first round. Hmm. But it seemed that Smith was pretty good for them. All right, well, then they go 10-6. and 6. The next year they go, oh, let's give Patty a chance. Lose in the conference championship game. The following year, the Super Bowl, and we're in the dynasty. I say all that to say this. It would not shock me if he froze him out to prove a point. I don't care that your billionaire girlfriend is here. I don't care that they're interviewing you every 15 minutes. I don't care that you are the best receiving threat we have. We've gotten here because I brought us here. It's not an ego thing. It's a fact. This is his team. No one's bigger than the team. And I'm not saying Andy's bigger than the team. I'm saying he's proving that point. You want to whine and moan in the biggest game of the year? Go run some empty routes and throw some blocks. You want to play for our team? Let's go play in the second half. Is it a conspiracy? Well, I'm prone to take one in now and again. But I think it's interesting. Let me know what you think. Comment section, social media. You know the deal. You know the deal. Worth noting, game on the line. When it was, excuse me, I said 22-22 before. It was 19-19 at the end of regulation. Excuse me, I got the math wrong. 19-16. to 16. Biggest play, right? Who is Mahomes looking at? He's looking at Kelsey, but who's wide open underneath? It's Rasheed Rice. And Rasheed Rice had a bit of a problem on the sideline talking to Patty, and you know what, I can't blame him. It all ends well when you come down and you wind up with the win. But if this did wind up going the other way, I wonder if that might have been a little bit of an issue for Rashi Rice moving forward. There's going to be a ring on his finger. Maybe it won't bother him as much. I don't think it will. But either way, number two in the standout seven, let's talk about overtime. And particularly, I think you understand what we're going to be talking about. We're going to start 100% wholeheartedly with strategy. So, at the beginning of the overtime period, the officials describe the rules of overtime, the modified playoff rules, to the stadium full of potentially diehard, potentially casual fans, whoever's watching and eating chicken wings at their house, who hasn't looked up from those wings in 15 minutes and just realized the game did not end. Okay. Kyle Juszczyk, the Harvard-educated fullback for the San Francisco 49ers, supposedly did not even know what was going to be happening with the overtime rules. And I got no beef with Kyle Juszczyk. I think he's a tremendous fullback. It's a dying breed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harvard-educated. You look, You look like an idiot. It's the biggest game of your year. You want to lose because you get outsmarted on a trick play. You want to lose because you get outplayed. You get out physical. Your guys get hurt. Okay, fine. You cannot lose the biggest game of the season because you did not read the rule book in advance. I'm not going to come up here and suggest to you that Kyle Shanahan, who has led his team to the Super Bowl multiple times, deserves to be fired for this. However, if you are a 49er fan, and you make this argument, I have nothing to refute your emotion and passion. This is just sad. After the game, Chris Jones described explicitly that the Chiefs had been discussing these overtime rules since the end of the championship game. Since they knew they were going to be in the Super Bowl, and they might go to OT, because their Super Bowls tend to be close when they're winning, you know what? Let's probably know the rules, huh? Then we have audio come out that Kyle Shanahan said explicitly that they want the ball first. He sent his captains out there saying they want the ball first. You see Patrick Mahomes' eyes light up when he hears the 49er captain, I believe it was Werner, say that he wants the ball first. He goes back to the sideline, where you can previously have heard him talking with the coaching staff and them telling him, which way do we want to kick the ball? Not even asking, do we want the ball? Because he knows they don't want the ball because they planned for this. Is it arrogance? I don't know. It's willful ignorance. It is preposterous that you run into this situation in the biggest game of the year, in a Super Bowl rematch. This has the potential, and look, I don't know what's going to happen. San Francisco could win the Super Bowl next year. They could win the next three. This could very well be a legacy-defining moment for Kyle Shanahan. And and I'll say this, we're going to talk legacy at number three in the standout seven. We still got to talk about overtime. But... It is preposterous to me. Then we hear after the game, Kyle Shanahan saying, we wanted the ball first so we could get the ball third. It's based on some of the analytics we discussed. Now, I've said before on this program, I am not wholly against analytics. I am against this all-encompassing whatever that is oh, we made our decision based on analytics. You want to look at data and tell me, yeah, we go for two this much because, you know, more often than not, you get it. All right, I guess the math could work out. But it's just data. It's information for you to take in and then synthesize into a decision. You are not a computer. You can evaluate the situation. Evidently, they had evaluated it in advance, and this was the play. This was it. We're going to kick the ball. Excuse me. We're going to get the ball. We're going to score, obviously. And then maybe they'll score. If they don't, we win. If they tie, okay. But the problem is, and oh, by the way, then we get the ball third. Awesome. The problem is, it's not like you lost the coin toss and then got the ball and then you acted excited about it, which could have been like, all right, I was trying to hype the guys up. You got to choose. And in a situation where the team getting the ball second, no matter what is guaranteed a possession, and no matter what is guaranteed the first chance to win the Super Bowl. You cannot win the Super Bowl on the first drive. You could have scored a touchdown there. You would not have won. You would not have won the game. It didn't matter. Were you planning on going for two if you scored a touchdown, Kyle? Of course not, because the other team's going to get the ball, and then they can just kick and win. So in a in a situation where the rebuttal is so powerful, the power of going second, are you assuming Andy Reid wouldn't have gone for two with the game on the line? With his best player, the guy that has single-handedly changed the trajectory of both the Chiefs franchise and and Andy Reid's entire legacy. He was a guy who could never win the big game. Even with Alex Smith, they couldn't even get to the big game. Patrick Mahomes comes in, and not only is Andy Reid a Hall of Famer, he's pushing into that first table. What are we doing? You don't think he's going to go for two? You're not even going to make him make the decision? Okay, Let's talk about overtime. Um, get a holding penalty on McDuffie in overtime. Tremendous. A little iffy, but okay, fair enough. No no fuss, no must seem to be made about it. Um, Kansas City defense did the job. They did the job when it mattered. They held them to three because Chris Jones came screaming through the offensive line. And Purdy didn't have enough time to make the throw. Did Brock Purdy, you know, we'll talk, we're going to talk legacy in the next one. I keep saying it. Did Brock Purdy do enough? Well, I mean, when it came down to it, at the end of regulation, his team was winning. And at one point in overtime, his team was winning. So it's really hard for me to look at Brock Purdy and tell him he didn't do enough. Did he miss a throw early to Debo? Yeah. They wound up scoring on that drive. Did he miss the throw in overtime? Yeah, but he's got a guy right in his face right away. Uh, Seven and a half minutes to go in overtime, and Kansas City goes on a seven-minute drive, which, of course, ends with a touchdown for the guy that left their team. Left their team. Nicole Hardman, Nicole Hardman, left as a free agent to sign a contract with the New York Jets to go play with Aaron Rodgers. What happened to Nicole Hardman's time as a Jet? Well, Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Okay. Mecole Hardman only played in five games as a Jet. He had one catch for six yards. Came back to Kansas City. Played in six games. Had 14 catches for a buck 18. Okay. And then, in the biggest game of his life, gets ran out there to run a little out route or a zig route. I don't recall already. To the sideline in the Super Bowl. As time is expiring in the first overtime period. We would have had double overtime in the Super Bowl for the first time ever. Correct me if I'm wrong, I do not believe that has ever occurred. Hardman catches it, and in his words, not mine, he completely blacked out. He caught the ball, crossed the goal line, he turned around, and Mahomes was screaming at him that they'd won, and he just stood there. I cannot imagine the feeling and the emotions running through his head right there. I I hope each and every one of you listening, however many of us there are, can someday have a level of accomplishment that rivals that. Where everything you worked for and you're just standing there in awe of it all. And your brain can't even handle it. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Congratulations to Meek Hardman. Congratulations to Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who I was discussing... With, you know, some buddies about bets for the Super Bowl. And, oh, who who do we put on the touchdown ticket? I was like, well, Valdez Scantling's going to get open. Is he going to catch the ball? Caught the ball in this game. Caught the ball last week. Excuse me, two weeks ago in the championship game. Who cares about the drop against the Eagles? Who cares about the drops during the regular season? He's a Super Bowl champion. Congratulations to the Chiefs. What a game. What a game. Admittedly. First half of this game, a little slow. A little slow. Had Rams-Patriots vibes, which was not a great Super Bowl. Second half and overtime, this game, it kicked into high gear. It really did. Um, wow. Let's talk about what happened not too long after the game, which is the San Francisco 49ers firing their defensive coordinator in Steve Wilks. I'm intrigued by this. Um, the reason I'm intrigued by this is I don't think he had that poor of a game plan for most of the game. You give up 25 to the Chiefs. It's That's within the low end of what you're expecting to give up to them. They're a pretty good team. Pretty darn good. They won the Super Bowl. Their defense is great, right? But you're expecting their offense, you can kind of take advantage if you throw some double teams at Kittle or maybe stop the run with Pacheco. Pacheco didn't go off in this game. Pacheco winds up with 24 touches for 92 yards. Ho-hum game. Puts the ball on the turf. Jarek McKinnon touched the field in this one, two catches for 15. Kelsey got his, you knew that was going to happen. Justin Watson had some good catches. Rasheed Rice had a little bit. What it came down to, and I'm intrigued, is Tony Romo on the air. I believe it was late in the fourth quarter, and I know it was definitely in the overtime period. Was very critical of the depth that the secondary was standing away from the line of scrimmage at the beginning of place. Not pressing up on some of these receivers, playing very far back and allowing Mahomes to lead a methodical seven-minute drive to win the Super Bowl. It's not like they had a a deep bomb, like the early drive where Pacheco fumbled. Hardman for 52 yards, and boom, they're in the red zone, right? That's Chiefs football. They do that. They take their shots deep down the field. But, if need be, Patrick Mahomes is more than talented and capable enough to nickel and dime me down the field. That's what they did. And another intriguing thing to me is there was an article after the game, not excuse me, after the game, after Steve Wilkes' firing, that said, let's see, 49ers scapegoat. Steve Wilkes' firing is a bad look, but the mistake was hiring an ill-fitting defensive coordinator. It's a bad look. It's a bad look to fire your defensive coordinator after you had some issues defensively in the Super Bowl? Do I think they played poorly? I just told you. I didn't think their defense played that bad. But it's a bad look. Look, rightly or wrongly, Kyle Shanahan is now thoroughly entrenched with the reputation of a choke artist. Thoroughly entrenched. This is how the common fan, and perhaps more around the league, are going to view Kyle Shanahan and his teams. They have now lost two Super Bowls in which they had double-digit leads. And he was the coordinator of the greatest collapse in Super Bowl history. Who's he going to fire himself? I said before, I don't think it's a fireable offense. And that's coming from me. Because I think making it to the Super Bowl is a pretty successful year in my book. However, if they fired him, I wouldn't have much of a retort. So if they're not going to, then what are you going to do? He's the offensive mind of the team. So are you going to fire the offensive coordinator when Kyle Shanahan's really the guy running the offense? It's going to be a similar offense next year anyway. This was the move, I guess they felt they had to make to appease the fan base. And I'd say this, I don't think Steve Wilkes is some kind of a defensive genius. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'm not here to rag on the guy. I think he's got a little bit of a raw deal now and again. He was in Arizona. They went three and thirteen. He had Josh Rosen as his quarterback for the bulk of the year. Then they get Kyler Murray. They go a different direction. You know, within a few years, they're a playoff team. Okay, cool. Then, he goes and becomes the DC in Cleveland. Alright, I mean, you look at the rankings, they're not really anything crazy. That year he was the DC, they were 6-10. and 10. Okay, they clean house. He winds up in an interim position in Carolina. They go 6-6. Six and six. Okay, but you look at this roster. This is the Baker-Carolina team. They threw for like 16 touchdowns on the season, which is horrible. Um, They moved on from McCaffrey that year. Complete rebuild. He gets a chance in San Francisco. The numbers look good, but the team looks tremendous anyway. He's filling in for D'Amico Ryans, obviously, who moved on to Greener Pastures. And on the biggest stage, they couldn't get a stop. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? They couldn't get a stop. And, you know... They have a good pass rush, I think, anchored by Nick Bosa. One of the premier pass rushers in the league. Didn't look like it when it mattered. Didn't look like it. Eric Armstead had a sack in this game. Came out afterwards that Eric Armstead has been playing with a torn meniscus since December. Kudos to you. I mean, you've got Logan Ryan off the couch taking big snaps in this game. Logan Ryan, former New York Giant, of course. Um... Hargrave wound up with a sack. Chase Young got a sack. Not when it mattered. Not when it mattered. 7 minutes and 19 seconds, 14 plays. And remember how I said before in the first half, Mahomes was tentative, and when he did scramble, it was too late, and they looked ready and aggressive and athletic to get to him? Not in overtime. Not late in the fourth quarter when he needed to get some yards, 19-yard rush, two minutes left in OT on third and one for Patty. How about the the cheeky little speed option that Andy Reid busted out on? What two fourth downs? A little speed option shenanigans, a little Reid speed, maybe a little triple option even. Patrick, I've said it before, and I'll say it probably for the next decade the way this is looking. He is one of the least athletic athletic, scrambling-slash-mobile quarterbacks I've ever seen. He's not Michael Vick. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not even Josh Allen. But when it matters, he knows how to use his legs, when to use his legs, and it seems to work damn near every time. Completely derailed my discussion about Steve Wilkes here. But, uh, look, I think... He deserves another crack. And I think maybe that's what Shanahan thought when they brought him in. Um, In the past week, we've also read that during the year, there was a move from up in the booth as the DC to on the sideline that kind of foreshadowed there might have been a little disconnect between what Shanahan was thinking and what Wilkes was thinking, in certain situations, maybe wanted him on the sideline to be more with the players. I don't know. Um, Either way, I think he deserves another crack, both of being a DC and maybe eventually, if it works out, of being a head coach because he got a raw deal. I can't hate this as much as the article headline implies I should. Can't do it. Can't hate it. Because you just lost the Super Bowl and something has to happen. They're going to have Brock Purdy next year. John Lynch built this team. I don't think he should be fired. Shanahan is the shepherd of this team. I don't see them laying him off anytime soon, so what are you going to do? Well, you got to make a move. It's why, to switch sports, as I am so inclined to do, it's why I'm so confused that the New York Yankees have not yet made a move at the managerial spot. Coaching is something, you know, you can't fire all the players. I'm not sure where that quote comes from, but some higher up or some owner or some executive at some point. You don't fire the players, you fire the coach. Right? Realistically, the players are the ones that impact the game. If you're a game-wrecking pass rusher, does it matter who your D coordinator really is? He's going to send you at the quarterback. If you get there enough, he will look good. If you do not, he will look bad. At the end of the day, they lost on defense, which... (laughs) as I've said, was a tremendous strategic failure on Shanahan's part to even put them in this situation, but they were. And Steve Wilkes is the guy that had to pay for it. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk legacy while we're here. We talked about it last week, and uh, man, how about first of all, from Field Yates here, my boy Steve Spagnolo, the first offensive or defensive coordinator to win four Super Bowls. How about that one? How about a little bit of that? Four Super Bowls as a coordinator. My boy can't get a second shot. And I see people during the week talking about, oh, they were so horrible in St. Louis with the Rams. Go away. Go away. This man is a four-time Super Bowl champion. His defense was the engine that helped drive this team. He beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You tell me he can't get another chance? there are words that would fill this sentence that are not allowed on our air he should he deserves another chance if he wants it if he wants to be a D coordinator till he's fully gray haired you know what you've earned that right as well tom brady statistics versus pat mahomes statistics first 6 years starting 72 and 22 for patty 70 and 24 for brady regular season numbers that is Playoff record: fifteen and three to twelve and two. There's more playoff games nowadays, obviously. Four AFC titles for Mahomes, three for Brady. Three rings for each. Brady's QB rating: eighty-eight point four. Mahomes: one hundred four point one. The game's a lot more open nowadays, as we know. Two hundred and sixty touchdowns to seventy interceptions for Pat. One sixty-seven to eighty-seven for Tom Brady. Obviously, back in those days, not throwing the ball as much, but Brady under four thousand yards for all of those years as well. Interesting. If we're being completely honest. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. The guy's on a Brady trajectory. He, he's on a higher than Brady trajectory, if it's even possible. But I'm not certain how long this can continue. Right? Whether it be... Look, I thought that when they got rid of Tyreek Hill. And it still worked. And Andy Reid's still there. And uh, man, Spags is running the defense. Their defense is full of young dudes. McDuffie out there at corner with Lejarius Snead. Chris Jones hitting free agency, but who knows where that's gonna go, right? Some of their linebackers. I don't know. The argument is there, and I know people are looking at people will do the Brady Mahomes thing like they do Jordan Lebron. I get it but this this is different this is a guy with a legitimate shot early in his career already on the trajectory look lebron james was tremendous in cleveland when he was young they went to the finals and they got swept his team around him was not very good they got bullied by the spurs it took him a while right just like it took michael jordan a while it took him what 8 9 years to get to the finals And then the three-peat happened, right? We're pretty early on, and Patty's already got a bit of a dynasty here. And considering he's going to play his whole career in the new wide-open era, if he's got the longevity of somebody like Tom, he's going to eclipse those touchdown numbers and things of the like. It's just going to happen. I mean, Tom ends with 649 touchdowns, right? Patrick Mahomes already has 220 at 28 years old. Worth noting, Tom Brady had the 50 touchdown year 2007, right? We're talking about after the first six seasons. That's the the Brady blossoming in my book when they have the perfect season. What's up next for Patty Mahomes? I don't know. Uh, also while we're here while we're here um i like i just have to throw in again tom had great defenses for some of those years too right like it's not just oh mahomes didn't have the numbers this year yeah like like neither did tom for some of these years guys like the completion percentage is closer to 60. the first year they win the super Bowl he didn't play all the games obviously he only played 14 games he's got 18 touchdowns 12 picks he has got an interception a game like calm down Anyway, continuing in the legacy discussion. How does this impact Brock Purdy? Well, there is no real legacy for Brock Purdy, I'll be honest with you. Um, we talked last week, Ryan Clark was saying he'd already take him over Tua, he'd already take him over Justin Herbert, he'd already take him over Dak. I said I was a little queasy about a few of those, and I stand by that. Right? I said maybe he'll change my mind. He didn't have a bad game. He goes 23 of 38 for 255 and a touchdown. He scrambled a little bit, three carries for 12. I'd still rather have Dak Prescott. I'd still rather have Justin Herbert. You can have a conversation with me about Tua, but I'm probably still taking Tua. I I mean, had they won, let's say Butker misses the kick and they win 19-16, I'm probably saying the exact same thing. Like, it's not a matter of, uh, oh, you're just saying that because they lost. Like, nah, dude, like, he didn't really do that much. And he's playing against a great defense. I get it. I'm not saying it's all his fault. But, I mean, let's look at their offense, guys. Two two 276 through the air with the trick play touchdown included. On the ground, they're a little over 100, right? So we're talking, let's say, 385. A buck 60 of it is McCaffrey on his own. He had 80 yards on the ground, 80 yards receiving. Ayuk barely got the ball, three catches for 49. Debo Samuel in this game had six touches for 41 yards. George Kittle barely had more yards than me. He had four yards. And now there's a video going around of everybody making fun of him because he was trying to talk to George Karloftis where Karloftis was paying attention to the play and recovers a fumble. I... Like, all right. All right. Granted, if memory serves, that was a first quarter fumble. No points were scored in the first quarter, so it's really not that big of a deal, I guess. But, uh, wow. Yeah, I don't think Purdy is, is in that spot. Do I think he's got a great upside? I do. I do think he's got great upside. He seems to be pretty good athletically, and he usually, when he has time, makes the right decision and gets the ball there. The problem was, in the biggest moment of this game, Chris Jones was screaming, barreling down at him, and he couldn't do anything. And this is where, you know, people have the conversation about the modern prototype of quarterback versus the old-school, traditional prototype of quarterback. Brock Purdy isn't a true statue, but in terms of the modern prototype, I think you'd like a little bit more mobility. Right? A Josh Allen, where you can just randomly buck and roll out of there. Or even Patty Mahomes, just kind of rolling out. He just kind of tossed it up there like you'd see from let's say a Drew Brees or a Matt Ryan or somebody who they're not, I think he's more athletic than those two guys, but that's the example I would go to. For Shanahan. We talked about Andy Reid, by the way. Andy Reid is in the inner circle of head coaches all time right now. It's it's a tight one, right? We don't need to break that down. But, I mean, you look at what he did in Philly. Granted, he lost a Super Bowl, but he went to the championship game, what, four times? Then you add in Kansas City, where they lost the championship game, I believe, twice. Once or twice. Might be once. Uh, three Super Bowl victories and a Super Bowl loss. I mean, come on. Tremendous. Tremendous. And it, you look at it realistically, the offensive pieces they had along the way did change. They get rid of Tyreek Hill, and they somehow win two Super Bowls after him. Completely different offense, right? Bringing in Pacheco. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a bigger player in some of the offenses here. Completely different now. Either way, let's talk about Kyle Shanahan. I think with the talent that this San Francisco team has, they can still reach the mountaintop. He can still get to where his father was, right? I think last week I erroneously called Mike Shanahan, I, like, I lumped together the Elway Super Bowl losses with Shanahan. Shanahan was not the head coach when they lost those Super Bowls. To be clear, you know, it, it's if we're looking back in time, and I say this literally, it is before I was on this earth. So, a little bit of a botch by me. Apologies if I did. I think I might have. Um, either way, Elway obviously was with those teams. But uh, neither here nor there it's it's hard for me to to evaluate where he kind of stands because when you lose similarly at this high of a level it's you kind of grow a reputation right I mean we talked about LeBron James before we were talking about a little bit of basketball comparison with Brady and Mahomes I mean, how long did LeBron... It was hard for him to fight through that choker sort of reputation that was painted on him. Both because when he tried to do it on his own, they got swept, and he goes and joins a super team, and what happens the first time? They lose to Dirk. Right? It's like, what? You lose to Dirk? Okay, well, these guys in Miami beat Dirk before you were ever there. Um, and then obviously that has changed well over the years. Um, granted, still quite a few losses in the biggest game. But that's neither here nor there. Moving forward, what what does Shanahan need to do to repair that? All he needs to do is win the Super Bowl. I mean, nobody's going to care about a San Francisco team being a one-seed anymore. Last year, they had their chance, right? And they had injuries. Purdy gets hurt in the championship game. McCaffrey's battling. I believe it was either a calf or a hammy. Their backup quarterback goes down. You get a mulligan, right? You get a mulligan for that game. It was too many injuries. It would have been so challenging for them to overcome. It would have been pulling a rabbit out of the hat if they had beaten Philly in Philly last year. So what do they do this year? They punch everyone in the mouth. And they look tremendous. Save for a handful of games there, they look tremendous. They're the best team in the NFC. It's apparent. Philly has fallen apart. Dallas is Dallas, right? Detroit's never been this far before. What happens? Well, Detroit gets a huge lead, punches them in the mouth just for Detroit to collapse. That was your chance, if you're Kyle Shanahan, to kind of look in the mirror and say this was going to be two years in a row that we went to the championship game. Last year we had injuries to fall on. This year, not so much. We just got punched in the mouth at home. We need to buckle down a little bit. Just barely didn't do enough. Just barely, didn't do enough, when it mattered. Um, San Francisco, like Kansas City from now on, rightly or wrongly, is championship or bust. Just like Philly was. Once you crack the Super Bowl, once you make it to the big game, it's not going to be enough for your fan base or your critics just for you to make it back again. If there's a big gap, let's say, you know, you played for five let's say Jalen Hurts, right? Jalen Hurts, let's say they take a gap in Philly and they're not back in the Super Bowl for 5 years, 7 years, 9 years and he's still the guy. Then getting back might be a huge thing. But if you're the coach, if you don't make the Super Bowl for that long, you're probably not coaching there anymore. Unless you're Mike Tomlin or your coach Harbaugh, John Harbaugh, you probably are not coaching there anymore. Um I think John Lynch and Shanahan are, are kind of not joined at the hip, but they're attached as far as running this team goes. So I wouldn't see that happening anytime soon, but within the next three, five years, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with the Super Bowl losing San Francisco 49ers. Let's talk about non-Super Bowl stuff. Because why not? Um, oh, before we wrap up here, supposedly 123.4 million average viewers, most ever, for a Super Bowl. Uh, for obvious reasons, right? The Taylor Swift stuff obviously drove the ratings. So that's exactly what the league wanted, and it happened. So congratulations are in order for the league and for CBS. And Nickelodeon, for that matter. They had their own broadcast. Um, real quick, some few things before we sign off here and head into offseason mode. Number five in the standout seven couple of notes on some QBs here. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be released reportedly sometime in March before his $11.25 million roster bonus vests for the upcoming season. Uh, additionally, he was suspended for the first two games of next year for, quote, taking prescribed medication without league clearance. Kind of unclear as of right now what that was, but uh, don't believe he's going to be appealing it. It's intriguing to me. I don't think Garoppolo is really in line for a starting level position coming up, but then again, I didn't think the Raiders would be putting him in the running for their starting job either, and, well, they did, and, uh, well, how'd that turn out? Another one for you here. This is odds via DraftKings in the last week plus. Uh, at least it looks like DraftKings due to the font. Correct me if I'm wrong if you guys have seen this elsewhere. Justin Fields... For which team will Justin Fields take his first snap in the 24-25 season? The betting favorite at minus 125, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm completely interested in that. What will they do with Kenny Pickett? How will this impact their new incoming offensive staff? Is this the move? Steeler fan, I'm sure you'd be excited to see Justin Fields wearing the black and gold. More excited than seeing Mitchell Trubisky, who's no longer with the team. Worth noting, the Bears are coming in at 2nd at plus 200. The Falcons in 3rd at plus 600. And the Patriots in 4th at plus 650. Bears, of course, with the number one pick in the draft. Right now, the odds-on favorite for the number one pick, Caleb Williams, minus 900. Drake May at plus 475. Marvin Harrison Jr. at plus 1,200. And Jaden Daniels at plus 1,500. I do not think anyone should be wagering on Marvin Harrison Jr. to be picked number one. I think even if the Bears want Marvin Harrison Jr., the obvious play would be to trade down. It would not be that hard to trade down two to three, maybe even to four, and see them getting Marvin Harrison. I tend to think it would be three would be the right spot, but we'll see. Also, fourth, the Heisman winning QB, Jaden Daniels out of LSU, plus 1,500. Number six in the standout seven, a little bit of free agency preview for you. Uh, Free agency, obviously, beginning in March, which we'll be discussing in our next episode, which is also in March. Pro Football Focus, with their top free agency rankings here, we'll run through a handful. Number one, Chris Jones, fresh off of a championship with the Kansas City Chiefs, understanding, excuse me, understandably so. This, by the way, Published January 22nd, so it's not like he was impacted necessarily by his performance in the Super Bowl. I thought he had a pretty good game. Obviously, the big play breaking through the line, forcing the errant throw when it mattered to win the game. Or rather, to put them in position to win the game. Number two here, Kirk Cousins. On Chris Jones, I could see him going to any contender that's got some budget, by the way. Kirk Cousins is an intriguing one. Um... I don't know why, but part of me thinks Kirk Cousins staying in Minnesota is not the worst idea. Uh, I also don't think Minnesota trying to make a move for a guy like a Justin Fields. No, they wouldn't trade him in division, I don't think. But uh, somebody like that being available could be intriguing to them. Kirk Cousins to Atlanta, I just for some reason think that could work, right? Right. If they bring the right scheme, Kirk can make the bulk of the throws. You know what I mean? Hand the ball off just enough to make it a balanced offense. Give the ball to Bijan much more, please. Getting the ball to Kyle Pitts and Drake London. I think Kirk's got something left in the tank. We'll see moving forward off of the significant injury, the Achilles injury, if I'm right here. But uh, put it this way, Rodgers is going to be starting week one anyway. So why not have Kirk Cousins out there as well? Number three, we've got Josh Allen, not of the Bills, but of the Jacksonville Jaguars, solid pass rusher. Number four, we've got wide receiver T. Higgins, who battled some injury issues this past year, but admittedly, he's a great wideout. He really is. Um, I think it would be a big loss, if I'm being honest, For Cincinnati, because he is the true number two, I would think. Maybe Bengal fan, you can correct me. He's a solid number two to to Jamar Chase. I think Higgins can be a number one. I think we might see, I don't know, a team like Tampa Bay, who was a playoff team, who might be losing Mike Evans. Maybe try to get younger and get T. Higgins. Probably cheaper to keep Evans, if we're being honest. But uh, if Mike Evans gets the interest that he got at the trade deadline, maybe that's a move they could make. We're just going to do the top 10, by the way. I'm not going to read the whole list to you. If you want to, by all means, look it up, pff.com. Uh, number five from the Panthers, edge rusher Brian Burns. Number six, Justin Matabike from the Baltimore Ravens on the D-line. Number seven, another D-lineman, Christian Wilkins from the Dolphins. Number eight, another Buccaneer and Antoine Winfield Jr. Number nine, Jalen Johnson, corner from the Bears. And number 10, LeJarius Sneed from the Kansas City Chiefs. Big moves got to be made here in terms of re-signing for some of these AFC contenders and also some other teams that are trying to shift the power struggle in the league. Well, this is a good year to have some money to spend. Number seven in the standout seven, let's talk scheduling, folks. We've completed seven years of the program, seven seasons, I should say. Uh, Pat yourself on the back if you've been here since the beginning, and even if you haven't, Thanks for coming around now. Uh, Our next episode, we've been uploading for this season, I believe last season as well. We were doing Fridays way back when we were doing Saturdays. I think our next episode is going to either be March 8th or March 15th. I will leave it up in the air. You can check wherever you're listening to this right now to see if there's an episode up. The reason I say that, via the league's own calendar here, March 11th to the 13th, is the two-day negotiating period prior to the beginning of free agency. The 13th at 4 p.m. is the 2024 league year beginning and the free agency signing period beginning. Interesting. Um, Do we want to do a predictive episode or do we want to do a reactionary episode? I think if we do an episode March the 15th, we should be able to still predict a handful of things going on and then also react to some early deals that get broken through, whether they be big deals, small deals, we'll see. Maybe if there's some trade buzz about the draft already by then, it's only a handful of weeks away. Uh, Obviously, recording this, it's February the 16th, so it's about an exact month. Um, Then we have April, hard March 15th. Hard March 15th. Check in on the 8th, but it probably will be the 15th. April's a little bit more up in the air, because the draft is April 25th, Through the 27th. Probably going to do either the weekend before the draft or the Friday of, uh, what would that be? Rounds 2, 3, and 4, or or 2 and 3. I don't remember how we structure everything with the draft at this point. Uh, Moving all around. But first things first, our next episode, episode number 192, will likely be on March the 15th. Feel free to come back. It doesn't matter if it's the off season. We'll talk some other sports shenanigans. On top of talking offseason, we're going to do some power rankings. We did a QB power ranking. I believe it was last offseason. That was kind of fun. Also going to break down some moves that some teams could make that could drastically improve them. Like I said, for some reason, a few years ago, I was really on the Matt Ryan to the Commanders train, right? was trying to really hope that into existence. I think the Kirk Cousins to Atlanta bandwagon Could be a little spicy, and it could be the necessary roughness sort of push here. Trying to speak that into existence, perhaps, for a late career kind of, maybe resurgence, who knows, for Kirk Cousins, how much he's got left in the tank. Either way, that'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, and of this NFL season. Thank you so much for tuning in this season, folks. It was a fun one. We got a great Super Bowl. Like I said, a little bit of a rough start. We got a great one, a lot of drama, a lot of shenanigans following it, which is the perfect formula for us. You know, we love shenanigans on this show. Whether you tuned in for all of the 20-something episodes we did this season or this was your first one, thanks so much for joining us. Join us March the 15th for our next episode. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donotic, signing off.